0: And I've got an author I'm going to be chatting with this morning as a part of our Earth Week, a best-selling author with Bringing Nature Home. Doug Tallamy changed the conversation about gardening in America. His second book, the New York Times bestseller, Nature's Best Hope, urged homeowners to take conservation into their own hands. And now he's turning his advocacy to one of the most important species of the plant kingdom, the mighty oak tree. And I want to welcome this morning, Doug Talamy. Good morning, Doug
1: good morning how are you
0: good now you've written this book called the nature of trees the rich ecology of of our most essential native trees and i absolutely love this book i'm a big gardener but i wanted to go out doug and you'll probably love to hear this i wanted to go out and plant a a grove of oak trees immediately
1: ah that was the goal (laughs) that's the goal (laughs) glad glad it worked
0: (laughs) and and you know i'm a big gardener i don't have any oaks however i've got a lot of other trees And so I've I've got to find a place for it, for sure. But you've come out with this brand new book, and I wanted to read a quote from it before we start. You put, a yard without oaks is a yard meeting only a fraction of its life support potential. Tell us what that means.
1: Well, it means oaks are the best at supplying life support for um, an awful lot of creatures in this country. You know, there's a, there's a, a movement. We're recognizing that we need to start to design landscapes for more than just aesthetics. They have to contribute to local ecosystems. And there's really no better tree in 84% of the counties of North America than one of the oaks to, to accomplish that.
0: Well, I'm all for trees and everything. I, I just did not understand and realize how significant the oak tree was. And I was reading in your book you talked about it was a picture of that really inspired you to plant some oaks. Do you want to tell me a little bit about the background and, and how you got all involved with that? The Jay and the Oak. You're talking about the the picture of the Jays, yeah. The Blue Jay, yes. Um, right.
1: We when we moved into our property, it was loaded with invasive plants. So the first thing we had to do is try to remove them. And every time we removed a big one, it left a disturbed area. Mm-hmm. We didn't have any big big trees on our property. So um, the next spring, oaks started germinating from those disturbed areas. And I knew I didn't plant any acorns there, and I knew no, you know, no tree nearby dropped them. Well, I, was in, I think I was in the barber shop, and I picked up a photography magazine and opened up, and here's a picture of a blue jay flying with an acorn in its mouth. And I said, bingo, that's what's happening. And I looked into it, and jays do have a, a mutualistic relationship with, with oaks, The oaks provide the food in the form of acorns, but jays allow oaks to move faster and farther than any other plant genus on the planet because they will carry those oaks up to a mile from the tree, and then they tap it below the surface of the ground. The idea is they're going to go get the oak, the acorn in the wintertime, but they only remember where one in four (laughs) acorns are, so they end up planting uh, literally thousands, each jay plants thousands of oak trees every single fall. Uh, and it, that really has allowed oaks to move uh, all over the, the world, well, all over the temperate zone of the world, faster than any other plant.
0: Well, so Douglas, now, instead of, of clearing those oak trees that were growing like a lot of people would and say, oh, I'm going to plant grass, you left them. And by by trade, you are a, an entomologist, I understand, and and this is in Pennsylvania that you're, is, is that where you still are living? Right, southeast Pennsylvania. But, but you're a professor and you teach entomology, so you let those oaks grow and just said, I'm not going to plant grass, I'm going to let these oaks grow. And what, what has resulted from that?
1: Well, you know, I started taking pictures of every moth species that has come to our yard since we moved in, and I'm up to 1,042 species. Wow. Now that's significant because moths and the caterpillars that create them are the most important part of the terrestrial food web in terms of getting energy from plants to other animals. It takes thousands and thousands of caterpillars to make one clutch of birds.
0: Well, so now you say is a that bird
1: that's out there
0: I don't think anybody's ever thought of caterpillars being that significant. And when I read your book, I was astounded. And so, yeah, explain that, how that works, because even as a person who's been gardening and working with nature stuff all these years, I thought, why is he talking so much about caterpillars? And I was I was amazed.
1: Yeah. You know, if you, if you just sit in front of a nest and count all the caterpillars that come in, and somebody did that with chickadees way back in the 60s. It's six thousand to nine thousand caterpillars just to make one, just to get one clutch of chickadees to the point where they leave the nest. Oh. And after they leave the nest, the parents continue to feed them caterpillars for another twenty-one days. So you're talking about tens of thousands of caterpillars to make a bird that's a third of an ounce. Where do those caterpillars come from? Well, they come from the trees that make them, and oaks support nine hundred and fifty species of caterpillars, which is far in the in the whole country, far more than any other tree genus. So in terms of of making this caterpillars to support the birds and so many other things, oaks are the very best.
0: Oh, absolutely, and that just just amazed me. And you talked about watching the, taking pictures, like you said, in, in your yard. And you have other trees besides oaks as well, I assume, or just oaks? Oh
1: yes, oh yes, yeah, oaks are the best, but they're not the only trees out there. You want a diversity of trees. I call them keystone plants. Because just just, just 5% of our native plants are making 75% of the food that drives those food webs. So if you're building an ecological house in your yard, the keystone plants, like oaks, are the two-by-fours of that house. And so they're essential. You, your house is not going to stand up if you build it out of wallpaper. So they're essential, but they're not the only things that go in your, your yard. You need other species to uh, round out that house.
0: And one of the things that you advise, and we talk about this on our, our show, our gardening shows here, is about uh, don't start your cleanup too early in the spring. And I always used to want to be one of the first ones to get that done. But this year I have waited because of all the things I keep hearing and have found an amazing number of like little ladybugs and other things that otherwise I would have cleaned up and not known about. So talk a little bit about the importance of that, providing that shelter and, and some things we can do to to help our Environment in terms of the nature that's out there.
1: Yeah, yeah um, I'm sorry, somebody's at the door. Oh, <laughs> sorry, I'm
0: on the radio. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay. <laughs>
1: that's the trouble of working at home. Yeah. That's right.
0: So, so what are some things we could do? We're talking about not cleaning things up too early, for example.
1: Uh, you know, leaving leaf litter is an important. Um, Important part of that or a lot of people have to have meadow plants they want to cut them back and they think well if it's been 50 degrees for a few few uh, days it's fine and all the insects have emerged that's not even close to true insects emerge from their overwintering spot um, throughout the summer I mean there's some insects that don't emerge until September so it's best to try to create a yard where uh, some of that stuff just gets to remain. You should, you should keep as, much of your, as many of your leaves as you can. I know you have to get them off your lawn, but you should have less lawn anyway. Put them in your beds, and if you have a meadow, cut back a third of it every year. But two-thirds should remain untouched, so that what, whatever is surviving in those two-thirds gets to colonize the third that you did cut back or, or burn. Um. So people say, you know, when can I do this without killing anything? The answer is never. Okay. <laughs> you just try to kill as 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 little as you can. You know, if you if you rake up those those sweet gum leaves, uh, there's a a Luna moth cocoon in there. If you if you mulch them with your your lawnmower, you have just ground it all up. So we're very hard on the living things around us without thinking about without without you know it's not our goal, but we are hard. And it's one of the reasons we got global insect decline. The well, way we it? treat our landscapes kills them. You know, uh, so many different ways.
0: How significant is that? I mean, people say, well, there's so many jillions, gazillions of insects, so I'm not worried. Why should we be worried?
1: You should be worried because insects are the little things that run the world. Uh, and we've lost, the estimates are about 45% of them so far. So if, if, if insects are the currency in our ecological bank account, we just lost half, half of our money. If that was real money, you, you'd think that was significant. Uh, you know, E.O. Wilson says they're the little things that run the world, and if we lose them, the world will not run, and neither will, will humans. So we need them as pollinators, we need them as decomposers, and we need them because they're the basis of the food web that keeps all the other animals around, all of them. So uh, insects aren't optional, and, and losing them is, is an ecological disaster.
0: One thing you've mentioned, and I read in your book talking about invasives, and you mentioned when you came to your property in Pennsylvania first, there was a lot of invasives. And that's an issue here in Minnesota, too. We keep getting more invasives. And something you've mentioned in the book is Asian jumping worms. And that is a big concern here in Minnesota. And I noticed one of the things you said in the book is the oak leaf litter is one of the things that helps to deter those awful Asian jumping worms, and, you know, we're really worried about that because it can really ruin an entire living area.
1: It it can. They're a terrible problem. They eat all the leaf litter. They change the soil chemistry. They eat all the seeds in the soil, and nobody knows what to do. The the only bright spot is they they have a tough time with oak leaf litter, so the more oaks we have in our properties, the more oak leaf litter there, the the fewer those Asian jumping worms. It's not gonna, you know, it's not gonna solve the problem, but it will slow them down until we figure out how to solve it. But boy, I don't know. It's these invasive plants and invasive animals are just terrible, terrible problems.
0: What is it about the the, the oak leaves that that help more than other things to, to with that issue?
1: Well, they're very tough. It mm-hmm. takes them up to three years for a single leaf to break down. Um, so that's why it's tough for the worms to eat them. But um, it makes that's what makes. That's why there's such good leaf litter, because they don't break down quickly. Things like maple leaves and birch leaves and things, they don't even make it through the summer because they mm-hmm. break down so quickly. And you want a, a layer of leaf, you know, leaves on the ground as the blanket that protects the soil community. Uh, because there are more species in the soil than there are above the soil. And They're, they're all tiny, but they're they're crucial in terms of recycling nutrients and um Setting up the conditions that allow those nutrients to cycle from the you know the tree to the soil back up to the tree, and if we if we take away the leaf litter, you've got erosion. The soil dries out, and you know most of those those decomposers disappears.
0: One of the things you talk about that I think a lot of people notice in the winter, most of the leaves are gone, especially here in Minnesota. Very very cold, and everything drops except the the uh, evergreens. But a lot of times you'll see the the leaves hanging onto the oak so there's a lot of brown leaves what is it about them that why do they stay and why is that significant
1: yeah that's a condition called marcescence, and you'll notice that it happens on young trees or on branches that are lower than 18 feet and the the idea is that um, those leaves when they hang on uh, the tips of of branches discouraged browsers so things like white-tailed deer are browsers but you know, it wasn't long ago, eight 9,000 years ago, where North America was loaded with blind, giant Pleistocene mammals. The, uh, you know, the, the giant sloth could reach up 18 feet. There were three species of mammoths just in Mexico. These guys were browsing all the time, eating, eating the twigs and the buds at the end of those twigs. So if you, if you protect those buds with dead leaves that are around them, they're not quite as tasty anymore. And it's difficult to eat them without making a rustling sound, which of course alerted the the predators of these big mammals. So it, we we're pretty sure that that is was a uh, a purposeful adaptation to discourage that browsing all winter long. And the fact that it stops 18 feet up, that's just as high as they could reach. And there's no reason oh. to keep them above that. So it's pretty good evidence that that's what's going on.
0: I always wondered why that was. It just it was a very curious thing to me. The other thing you mentioned, and I think a lot of reasons why people don't like oaks, is because sometimes they say, oh, they produce so many acorns, and I have to you know, clean up the yard. It's such a mess. Wall-to-wall acorns underneath the oak. So talk about that and why that's a th- something that oaks do and maybe we should just live with it
1: yeah there are some things we need to live with that's uh when you have that wall-to-wall of acorns that's called a mast year
0: and it only happens
1: once in a while every three four years um maybe even every five years and it's not regular it's unpredictable and the reason they do that is to swamp the the uh all the things that eat acorns and it's a lot of things that depend on acorns you know a lot of birds turkeys deer um, a lot of mammals Ducks, a lot of ducks eat acorns. They're specialist uh, insects like the acorn weevil and the acorn moth that uh, they can hit 90% of those, those acorns. So, if you made the same amount of acorns every year, those, those acorn predators would, the populations would stabilize around that number and then they would, they'd eat all of them. But if you make few one year, then there's not many things you can eat in that, that are around. And then a whole bunch the next year, you, you swamp that, that, those populations. It's the same principle as the periodical cicada. You know, you come out by the millions once every 17 years. There's not enough things around that can can eat them.
0: So in terms of being in your yard, sometimes, like you said, you just have to, to deal with it. And it's an okay thing. It's good for the environment. And maybe it's a little nuisance for us, but deal with it.
1: Yeah, life is full of trade-offs.
0: <laughs> we, we can't, you know, we can't get rid of all our plants if
1: they make leaves and are messy. Messy is not a good reason to destroy the planet. I mean, we, you know, it's just one of those things we have to do.
0: Oh, that's a great yeah. quote. I love that. Uh, is there any, are all oaks created equal? Because there's different kinds. There's red oaks, there's white oaks, there's bur oaks, there's swamp oaks, so many different types. Are they created equal?
1: Uh, well, there are 91 species of oaks in, in this country, and you're right. They live pretty much everywhere. They live on acid soil, on basic soil, in damp soil, on dry, rocky outcrops. Um, up in the mountains, down in the lowlands, in the south, in the north, there's are evergreen. Most are, are not. Um, so they're doing a bunch of different things. But in terms of their value, a lot of them are pretty equal. They're all contributing a whole bunch. One other way they, they vary is in size. Everybody thinks all oaks are gigantic because those are the ones we remember. But there are actually a lot of oaks that are small. There are many that are small trees, some that are shrubs, and some that are ground covers, believe it or not. And I'd love to see them get into the, the uh, nursery trade because a lot of people have small properties and they don't want a giant tree. Um, so things like the dwarf chestnut oak, it's perfect for a small yard. It makes acorns when it's five feet tall.
0: Now you mentioned some are ground covers. What I guess I'm not aware of ground cover oaks.
1: Yeah, that's because they live they're farther in the
0: west. <laughs> oh, so they're probably not my. I don't think we have. They're not zone yeah, four, probably. probably. No, no. Well, good to know at least. But but the smaller when you mentioned the chestnut, I saw that and I think that was a zone four. And I thought, wow, I could have an oak because I don't have a lot of space. But maybe that's one thing I can do.
1: Exactly. Not just the chestnut oak because there is a chestnut oak. It's the dwarf chestnut oak. Two d- different species. Uh, Corcus uh, Prinoides.
0: Are those pr- sold very much in nurseries? Because I guess I don't see a lot of them. Is it something that there's not the demand and maybe we need to, to ask for them?
1: Um, yes. Uh, so Corcus Prinoides is in the trade, but it's not that common. And you're right that there hasn't been the demand. I think the demand's going to grow in the near future. People are recognizing the value of oaks, and particularly the small ones, because a lot of people live on smaller properties. So um, it's simply a matter of, of supply and demand. Once the demand's there, the supply will increase.
0: So what are you doing now? You've got all these oaks and things. What else do you do on your property? Like you said, we all have to take the conservation into our own hands, and you sound like you have a fairly large piece of, of land compared to most people.
1: We do. We have 10 acres.
0: Okay. And
1: so it's, and not only that, we live on a long flag lot. So um, you can't see our property from the street, and you know I recognize it gives me tremendous amount of freedom. Hmm. So when I'm running around the the country giving talks, and I don't cut the grass, it's okay (laughs) because nobody can even see it. (laughs) So I have a lot more freedom than than most people do. Um, But we're taking, you know, we're taking advantage of that. We're trying to. This area was mowed for hay when we moved in, so Uh there are very few plants here. Trying to increase the biodiversity as much as possible, and this property has has been a model showing me that um, this can be done you know that, that you put the plants back and all the things we've got 59 species of birds that have bred on our property not yeah. just flew by but bred because of all the laws that we have that you know the thousands and thousands of caterpillars that allow those birds to breed um, and it, it you know I saw the, the headline this past fall from the World Wildlife Federation that says earth has lost two-thirds of its wildlife since 1970. But I'm thinking not at our house. I think we've increased biodiversity at least by two thirds simply by putting the plants back, and and everybody can do that. They really can.
0: You mentioned all the caterpillars. I think we don't see a lot of caterpillars in your book. The reason I loved your books not only because of the it was well written, but you had a lot of pictures in there, and it was told from the basically from the perspective of the oak tree month to month. It's like a diary almost, and I just thought that was really wonderful, and with all the pictures and that sort of thing. And I I don't know how, how, you know, you can tell a story better than the, with those pictures. Were all those your original pictures for the most part?
1: Yeah, all about three or four. Okay. <laughs> um, and that's the fun of writing a book. So I need a picture of this, so that's a, that's a goal. And then, uh, you know, then you often have to wait for the season and wait for it to come. But uh, so, for example, the, I... I don't have good pictures of the periodical cicadas because they're not coming out till this June. Oh. and I will get them, but uh, not in time for this book.
0: <laughs> Who do you think you wrote this book for?
1: Uh, you know, I, it, my my overall goal with all of my books is to help convince people that nature's not optional, we absolutely need it, and to reconnect them with it or connect them with it for the first time. We have this idea that humans are here and nature someplace else and that it's just there for our, our entertainment. And, you know, both those things are wrong. Nature has to be everywhere because we need functioning ecosystems everywhere. As a matter of fact, we need more ecosystem services now than ever before because we've got, you know, 7.9 billion people on the planet. Uh, and that's not the direction we've been heading. We've been, we've, we've had this, this either or, you know, if humans are here, nature's gonna be someplace else. There isn't any someplace else anymore. So, so I write these books so that people will realize, well, gee, I can put nature right where I live or where I work or where I play. Even if I live in an apartment, I can, I can volunteer and help somebody who owns land uh, restore it. But you have to pick the right plants. Plant choice matters or it's not going to work. And that's it's another thing we've done is we think our landscapes are just decorations. We've chosen plants from all over the world, and they're very poor at supporting our North American uh, natural systems. So trying to get all those messages across is, is the goal of these books. In the case of the oak, I want you to look at your tree and realize it's not a tree. It's a home. It's a home for thousands of species. And you can go out any month of the year, and after and, you, know, you read about that month in my book, and look for the things I talk about. And by the way, I just talk about some of the things that happen, because there's a lot of things. Um, and then, you know, that's a connection. That's where knowledge from the book is going to generate interest on your part and then interest generates compassion. And we will, you know, we will do a better job at protecting the natural world that protects us.
0: Well, Douglas, I wanted to say after reading your book, uh, I, I was, do a lot of landscaping on my property. I'm trying to do more natives and that sort of thing. But I did take note because you had talked about looking under the bark and things. And and I discovered this world of insects that I never knew existed. These little, uh, they were ladybugs and they must have hatched under the bark or somewhere near this tree. And I just thought to myself, if had I not read that and really thought about it, I wouldn't have found that. And it was just awe-inspiring to think and you talk about all the caterpillars and and I think I don't see very many but a lot of the you showed is how they hide how they're they're camouflaged how they're just nature's so smart
1: they have to hide because those birds are after them <laughs> <laughs> any caterpillar that doesn't hide is gone you know and a lot of them feed only at night so if you go out at night uh-huh. with a flashlight that's when they come out and they're on the leaves because the birds aren't hunting at night so that's a much better time to look for those
0: caterpillars and the, the New York Times just did a nice write-up about you. Is that pretty exciting to see see that write-up about your book about oaks? Sure. <laughs> and I love the you know, title. It says, know. Why You Should Plant Oaks. And I hope everybody can read the books. And uh, the publisher of your book gave me some extra copies, so I'm going to be able to give some away. And I, I hope that the uh, p- people will enjoy it as much as I did because it's just a really great book, Douglas. And I thank you for coming on the show. is does your research now, you're at the university? Does your research follow any of the stuff you're talking about in your books in terms of more with oaks or in general, insects?
1: Yeah, the, my research in the last 10 years has, has um, provided the background for everything I, I, I write about. And it's one of the things that, that um, I guess it gives credibility to the things I say, because we've got the scientific papers published to, to um, these aren't just my opinions. There, there's, there's data behind this. Uh, and that you know that's necessary these days because you hear an awful lot of things out there that, <laughs> that uh, have no data behind them and it's hard to separate truth from fiction and the best way is you do an experiment and publish it
0: what's your next work are you working on anything particular now because you've had uh, several best-selling books nature's best hope is, is one of them I know and well the- I
1: realize yeah I, I I get I get a lot of emails every day with questions people still have a whole bunch of questions that i have not answered in my book so i was thinking of a book that just focused on these questions this is these are the, the nitty-gritty that people want to know to make all this work and see if that works but you know at this point i'm just doing email i haven't written anything because <laughs>
0: <laughs> you're too busy answering got to wait, wait for the flurry to, to calm down <laughs> well thank you for writing this this very important book and we wish you a happy earth week and thanks for coming on the show we appreciate it so much Thanks for having me. Okay, bye-bye. Take
2: care. Thanks. There's 25 trees on the side of the hill. They're coming in straight, taking their fill. They're filling in the space. The big pine stood. they claiming his son for their own wood. And I've got some time to sort things out. I pull a honeysuckle vine, read books on the shelf. There's one or two I've never read. And more than a dozen gonna read again Like blue highways and the land remembers Black elk speaks and fire on the mountain Rural free and the contrary farmer A home in the country bound for glory Irish folk tales as told by Yates A country year at nature's pace The grapes of wrath and Jaybird Crow Wilderness plots in the Ohio. It's just 25 feet from the 25 trees to the old bookshelf and the birds and the bees fly between these words I love and land on the branches of the trees on the bluff they all started living since I've been here I've been watching them grow keeping things clear like the wild rose we call the sticker bush and the grapevine that'll show come good they're coming up strong and making their stand we'll share our lives on this piece of land and and they'll watch me as i watch them and they're born to rustle and bend in the wind there's five pin oaks and five wild cherries two red buds and one more berry a black walnut two sugar maples a dogwood and a honey locust two tulip poplars a state tree and chestnut sycamore and a beach and two catawbas to round out things they're a good old-fashioned tree Twenty-five trees on the side of the hill, they're coming in straight, they're getting their fill, they're filling in a space. The big pine stood, they're claiming his son for their own wood. And I've got some time to sort things out, I pull a honeysuckle vine, read books on the shelf. There's one or two I've never read, and more than a dozen gonna read
0: again. Every Day is Earth Day is supported by Minnesota Valley Federal Credit Union